Yes. Hey, I've got three distinct observations about that song, that moment. First of all, I noticed that some of you were tapping your toes, tapping your hands, bobbing your heads. I even noticed a couple of people singing along. I'm guessing if I just described you, then we're contemporaries. Uh, you came of age as well during the 80s. First observation. Second observation. Um, you're going to be humming, maybe singing that song all the rest of today. So you're welcome for that. Third observation, oh my goodness, and this one might be the most important. That song, the lyrics of that song by U2, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, Bono, their lead singer. This was the second track from their 1987 album, The Joshua Tree. And actually, it was released as the album's second single in May 1987. That song could have also been written with maybe different language by the author of the book that we're going to be studying for the next seven weeks. It's ancient wisdom from your Bible, about 3,000 years old. Humanity hasn't changed that much. We're still seeking. We're still searching. And you can look everywhere you want to look under the sun. We're going to define that here in just a minute. We're going to define it for the next seven weeks. You can look anywhere you want to look. You can chase any distraction that you want to chase. Apart from God, you still haven't found what you're looking for. So, I want to look at a couple of words here as we dive in together. The first word I want to look at is the word deplete. Take just a minute. Look at that word. Absorb that word. Let yourself feel whatever emotional reaction you want to have to that word. Deplete. And let's contrast it with a second word. The word replenish. Deplete. Replenish. This is like um, the cycle of life. This is the way we were designed to operate well. This is not bad without this. Let's talk about this. I've been doing this thing the last, oh, several weeks. One of our elders gave me a bunch of firewood. It wasn't split yet. It was in, like, log form. And so for the last several weeks, I've been doing this thing in my backyard. I found all kinds of simple joy in just doing something I did as a kid, swinging an axe splitting the firewood. It, it, it's like um, I'm doing an activity that my grandparents, great-grandparents, yours as well, well, they would just call that work. Today, in our culture today, we call that CrossFit. Like we pay money to go to a gym and do the work that our ancestors would have said, well, that's just what you have to do to survive. Depleting resources is not bad. I mean, exercise is actually very good when you couple it with replenishment. For example, hiking is a great thing. Exerting energy, shouldering a pack, carrying weight, breathing fresh air, going hiking is a great thing. But if you're hiking through the Sahara Desert with no end in sight, without an oasis to do this activity, well, this right here will kill you, right? Let's talk about your bank account. Oh, yeah. This word right here, a bank account, listen, money is just a tool. It really is. And a bank account is really just a tool for the tool. But if you deplete that account 
what is it Dave Ramsey says, your best resource uh, long-term, I wrote this down actually, your best resource uh, for building wealth is your income. If you just spend it down and you deplete it, what do you call that? Broke. That's what you call that. The other side of that, if all you do is save and you don't spend on the things that you really need to be providing for, if this is all you're doing, what's that? Well, maybe that's greedy. Maybe that's hoarding. This is a natural circle of life, depletion, replenishment. Here's what I want to do. Let's examine the truth. The last couple of years, we've probably been a little bit out of balance. I bet some of us in this space, the last couple of years has been depletion of your emotional reserves, of your energies. We need to spend some time replenishment. We need to spend some time putting back into those reserves. And I can think of no better way to do that than to open up God's Word and chase some ancient wisdom that was truth then and it's truth today. The next seven weeks are all about replenishment because the title of the series for the next seven weeks is this word, chasing. That comes from a longer phrase in the book of the Bible that we're going to study. It's the phrase, chasing after the wind. And this is an expression to describe the fruitless results of striving in vain and working toward that which ultimately never satisfies. The story inside the book of Ecclesiastes, that's the book we want to study, is one that examines this question. What would it be like to live and to define ourselves without God? If you take God out of the equation, well, it's just a chasing after the wind, right? It's fruitless. The title of the message today as we kick this off is the title, Distraction. Now, before we dive into this series, Chasing, I want to take just a minute and celebrate what God's been doing in this space, in our hearts, in our lives over the last week. Last weekend, we celebrated with Christians everywhere across the globe, we celebrated Easter. Here at Venture, we had just shy of 1,400 people. We had 1,391 folks in attendance here over the course of the weekend. Isn't that cool? Yeah, let's celebrate that. It's not just a number, it represents all kinds of stuff, including we did this whole ramp up, this whole five weeks gearing up for Easter, where we call it hashtag Hoosier One, and the challenge, the call to action was to invest and to invite. Who is your one? Who is it? You don't know if they're walking with Jesus. And so you want to do something about that. It bothers you that their eternity might be spent apart from God. And so your call, the call was to invest and to invite. And so many of you did. I kept hearing stories. I met some of the folks that you invested in and you invited last week. By the way, if you're here today and you were a guest last weekend for Easter, and you're our guest today, can I just say a couple of observations about the person that invited you? First of all, they love Jesus. And Jesus is the most significant relationship in their life. It's informed everything about how they want to live. This side of heaven and for eternity with God. Jesus is their best and closest relationship. The second observation, they love you. And they want what they hold dearest in their heart they want that for you as well. And so I hope you feel welcome. I hope you feel loved. I'm so glad that you're with us. Real quick as we begin this new series, 
You should know that there's some difficult topics that we're going to address. These are not trite. These are fairly heavy. There's a reason for this because there's a wisdom of this age that we wrestle with. People are people. Humans are humans. They were wrestling with some of those same themes 3,000 years ago. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. I'm looking for all kinds of distraction under the sun. And apart from God, I don't find true fulfillment. That was true 3,000 years ago. It's true today. Today. And for the next seven weeks, we're going to be tackling the topics of death, of work, justice, pleasure, wisdom, legacy, power, achievement, and riches. By the way, this is beautiful Hebrew wisdom literature. It's been confusing Bible readers, though, for years. On the surface, the book of Ecclesiastes, well, it's a fairly despondent view of life. What I want to do today is a book overview. Today is kind of a, a primer of the themes and the subjects of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's also an overview. It's Ecclesiastes in a nutshell, if you will. You know, this book has shown up in pop culture several different places. How many of you like novels? You enjoy reading even for distraction. How many of you have read uh, John Grissom? You know this popular author. I've read several of his books. He wrote a book years ago called A Time to Kill. That title, well, it's borrowed from the book of Ecclesiastes. Ernest Hemingway, who is a classic writer in the American uh, just pantheon of writers, uh, he wrote his first novel was called The Sun Also Rises. And that title is taken from Ecclesiastes. And he actually used a quote in his epigraph from chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. We're going to read those here in just a minute. A little bit more contemporary. We just heard a U2 tune. Bono, the lead singer of U2, he actually said one time that Ecclesiastes provides the key to understanding a different rock album of theirs, their classic album, Actung Baby. There's all kinds of references to Ecclesiastes in there. Some of us, maybe you're from a generation a little bit before that one. There's another classic song. Uh, it's called Turn, Turn, Turn. Some of you have been humming that in your head when you heard I was going to be talking about Ecclesiastes because you know that song written by Pete Seeger. Uh, it's got uh, these, uh, this famous line, a time to live, a time to die. It's repeated over and over again. Well, it's quoting the book of Ecclesiastes. This is wisdom literature. That section of your Bible, this would be Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Some people call it Song of Songs. Right now, do me a favor, turn in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. If you brought your Bible with you, awesome. Do it for the next seven weeks. We're going to be spending a lot of time in this book. Uh, if you don't have a physical Bible with you, maybe you've got a smartphone on your app, feel free to go there. We're going to be hanging out in Ecclesiastes today. If you don't have those, feel free. There's a Bible underneath the seat in front of you. If you grab that, pull it out, I'm on page 662 in that particular Bible. Page 662. A lot of what we're looking at here, remember, this is poetry. It's ancient wisdom. It's poetic in nature. It's filled with all kinds of symbolism. I'm going to explain some of that symbolism today. Let's read together. The words of the teacher, son of David, that's loaded language. We're going to examine that here in a second. King in Jerusalem. Meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. 
Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Boy, that's a bright, cheery way to approach our Sunday there, isn't it? Chapter 1, verse 1, verse 2, right off the bat. There's a whole lot there that we need to unpack before we go any further. There are four guiding principles I want to share with you today as we unpack, as we understand this book of Ecclesiastes. There are seven conclusions then that I want to share with you. They're not mine. They're conclusions, conclusions that the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes unpacks for us. And we're going to skip, we're going to go from the beginning to the middle to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. And we're going to examine those seven. But before we do that, I want to share with you these four guiding principles. Here's the first one. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. That word teacher, that's a Hebrew word. It's the word koheleth. You know, that's free. You don't really need to know that moving forward. You've got a great English translation. But koheleth is the Hebrew word that's found there. It literally means teacher in every sense of that word. Somebody who is imparting knowledge to anyone who desires to receive it. The author of the book of Ecclesiastes refers to himself as the teacher over and over again. Now, who wrote the book of Ecclesiastes? Quite honestly, it's a bit of a puzzle. We're not positive. Many, if not most scholars, though, would say that the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes, let's go back one slide, let's look at that text. The words of the teacher, that's that word, Koheleth, son of David, king in Jerusalem. This might literally mean the son of David. By the way, at the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, we'll see it before we leave today, it mirrors a little bit, it talks about Proverbs. If you go to the beginning of the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, verse 1 says, the Proverbs of, it's named here, Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So a lot of the book of Proverbs is written by Solomon. An awful lot of scholars, and I happen, I'm not a scholar, but I happen to be in the camp of their opinion, that uh, this is Solomon, that these are his words. Teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. So first guiding principle, I think that this is Solomon that wrote this. But for the series, I'm going to just be referring to it as the teacher says this. The teacher says this. God's mouthpiece. God's using them to impart ancient truth that was true then 3,000 years ago. And I believe it's the kind of truth that your grandma or grandpa would have believed in. And it's true today. Here's another uh, observation, if you will, another guiding principle. It's the word that's found there. We just read it and we giggled at it a little bit. Meaningless. This is the Hebrew word hevel, which reminds me of the word heavy. There's a heaviness to this word. You could use an English translation. You could say it's an enigma. It's meaningless. It's hard to conceive of. It's hard to understand. By the way, it doesn't mean that it has no meaning. It might be best described as vanity or vain striving. Meaningless, vain striving. You're going to read that word several times as you read through the book of Ecclesiastes. When my kids were little, we watched the movie Elf. You know the movie Elf? We watched that way too many times. So many times, in fact, that any time we would go to an escalator for a period of time there, you know this scene I'm talking about, uh, Will Ferrell puts his foot on the bottom step of the escalator and then he just rides it up and before long you're all stretched out. Every one of my kids did that at some point and I would usually do it with them because I think it's kind of funny myself. 
Let's go back in time just a little bit. How many of you, if you would be willing to admit this in church, sometime maybe in middle school, maybe you know the U2 song because you also grew up in the 80s and you spent way too much time in a mall with your buddies. Sometime in junior high, you know exactly what it feels like to have a group of guys dare you to. And then you kind of wrestle up your nerve and you run up the down escalator. How many of you know what this feels like? I'm raising my hand. If you run real hard and you go for it, you can make it up to the top. I'm not, kids, I don't recommend this, but uh, this is something that I can attest to. Let me show you vain striving. Let me show you Hevel. Several years ago, our uh, family was out. I, I was officiating a wedding in Washington, D.C., we got off of the subway and made this stop just to ride this escalator. Top to bottom, it's number 17 on the world's longest escalators. It's number one in America, baby. This is a a long, long, long escalator if you look top to bottom. This is the uh, Wheaton Metro Red Line Station just outside of Washington, D.C. Get this, it's 230 feet long. It goes up 115 feet in elevation. Listen, you could start down here when that down elevator is going, escalator is going, and you could try to run up to the top, but I'm guessing you're going to run out of gas long before you get there. That is a great picture of Hevel. That's a great picture of vain striving. Anytime you read the the word meaningless in this, this book, it's trying to run up an escalator that's way too long to make it to the top. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? That phrase is pretty important. It's repeated over and over in the book of Ecclesiastes. Let's see where else we see it. In chapter 2, verse 11. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. We just looked at that word. This is trying to run up the longest down escalator. A chasing after the wind, right, meaningless. This is where we get the title for our series. Nothing was gained under the sun. We find it elsewhere. If you keep reading, you skip ahead a few verses, verse 17 in chapter 2. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless. A chasing after the wind. I hate all the things I had toiled for, there's a phrase again, under the sun because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. You can find that phrase under the sun in verse 19. You can find it in verse 20. You'll find it in verse 22. Actually, I count it 29 times in 12 short chapters. Under the sun. Don't miss this. This phrase is all about examining truth. It's man's perspective versus God's perspective. Because under the sun, this is the domain of where men and women live. Above the sun, this is where God lives. If you put yourself inside the brain of 3,000 years ago wisdom. The book of Ecclesiastes is kind of like putting on trial the very existence of God. Listen, if God does not exist, the teacher, the writer is saying, this is what life looks like, meaningless, running up a down escalator. Under the sun literally means without God. For the next seven weeks, chasing. This is what it looks like to define ourselves apart from God. So the teacher, Solomon, I believe, 
He repeats over and over that life without God, this is under the sun, right, is hevel. This is vain striving. It's like trying to run up a down escalator. You can try real hard, but you might not get anywhere. One last observation before we dive in to the text. The structure of this book, it's poetry. It's poetic. There, it's all kinds of, it's like, like leaves that are blowing in the wind. Sometimes they rise, sometimes they fall. The book of Proverbs is similar as well if you study it. Don't try to read it linear, start to finish like you would a history book. It's poetic in nature. There are circles of thought to be found in Ecclesiastes. And we're going to wrestle through that. By the way, read through the book of Ecclesiastes. Do that this week before we dive in in earnest next week. But as you read it, recognize that it's a bit cyclical. Again, the next seven weeks, we're going to look at themes like death and work and justice and pleasure and wisdom and legacy and power, achievement and riches. And those things just kind of pop up all through the book. Okay, let's read it. Before we do, though, could we simply bow our heads and and close our eyes and ask God to lead this time together? God, we thank you for wisdom. We thank you for truth. We thank you that uh, withdrawals that get made from our bank account, maybe some of us walk in here today feeling heavy, that your word, the truth from scripture, is designed to put deposits back in. And so we seek truth. We seek encouragement. We seek wisdom. We seek to be challenged. Lord, use this study including this reading right now, as you will. We invite you to lead. We choose to follow. And it's in your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ecclesiastes 1.1, the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, there they return again. All things are wearisome. More than one can say, the eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. Apart from God? Is there anything of which one can say, look, there's something new? Well, it was there already long ago. It was here before our time. There's no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. I, the teacher was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them, apart from God, are meaningless. Trying to run up a down escalator that's way too long to make it to the top. It's a chasing after the wind. What is twisted cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. It would be my prayer that as we study this text over the next several weeks, that we grow. We grow in our faith. Okay, I want to share with you seven conclusions. Those were four observations. Let me share with you seven conclusions. These aren't mine. These are what the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes says. And we pulled just a couple of them already from what we just read. Here's the first one. 
without God. By the way, each one of these is that meaningless idea. It's like running up an escalator. Without God, your life has no objective meaning. I'm going to pull this straight from what we just read, verse 3. Check this out. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Under the sun is life without God, right? Listen, nothing meaningful is being accomplished, the writer is saying, without God in your life. Now, we need to examine here. You notice I used the word objective meaning versus subjective meaning. Objective meaning is universal. This comes from God. Subjective meaning is relative to you. And you change. God doesn't change. Actually, we can even be relative even within our own lifetime. Yesterday I took a long walk. I was walking past one of the ball fields that are near the house we live at, near our home. And I was listening to the kids play, and I was thinking about when I was a kid, I played ball, I played baseball in elementary school, I played baseball in junior high, and I think I had a few achievements where I hit the ball well, where I caught the ball well and made a good defensive play. But here's the thing, as I was walking, I don't remember those trophies. I don't remember those attaboys. I don't remember many of those, those little moments because those are subjective achievements, Right? My values, what I believe in, what, 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 I, what I'm interested in, what, what I find value in achieving has changed even from that time in my life. I wonder if that's the same for you. Things that you strove for earlier in life, well, you might not even remember those little achievements now. Subjective versus objective. Without God, the only meaning you can achieve, it's up to you. When you do this, you become your own small g God, Right? You put yourself, you put your achievement on the throne above him. Without God, your life has no objective meaning. Number two, without God. Without God, your life has no satisfying meaning. True satisfaction only comes from God. We're going to explore this theme through the next seven weeks. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 7. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. That's a great word picture, isn't it? Oh my goodness, I'm chasing after this thing and this thing. It's like the seas never fill up. Water's just rolling into them. It's like the writer is observing. seems like the seas never get full. Well, your life has no satisfying meaning without God. The text goes on. The eye never has enough of seeing. You can chase after all kinds of lusts of the eye, nor its ear, the ear, its fill of, its fill of hearing. You can chase after all these things, and without God, your life has no satisfying meaning. John D. Rockefeller. He was the Elon Musk of his day, right? At one point in time, his net worth was about 1% of the entire U.S. economy. He owned 90% of the oil and the gas industry of his time. And that was a big industry during his time. Perhaps you remember the story. He was asked one time, how much money is enough money? What did he say? Just a little bit more. Just give me a little bit more. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. Now, before we point too many fingers and throw stones at him, it's true in all kinds of things in life. Like, for example, say the person that you are in love with comes to you and says, hey, I, I love you. And you respond with, you know what, I'm good. I don't need any more of that. I've got enough of your love. I just don't need you to say that anymore. I don't need you to tell me that anymore. I've got enough. I'm filled up. I'm satisfied, right? No. You want to hear that more. 
Because you don't get satisfied with that. Listen, the only love you can find enough in is God himself. Pastor Tony Evans puts it this way, God doesn't want you to pray when you are about to eat dinner, not just then. He wants you to pray always. He doesn't want you to just read a Bible verse to start your day. He wants you to meditate on his word. He doesn't want to be your life coach. He wants to be your God. I would contend, and so would the teacher, the writer of Ecclesiastes, that satisfying meaning in your life, oh, it's impossible without God. There are many things you can chase. Nothing satisfies you like God. Number three, without God, your life has no eternal meaning. Without God, you have to assign meaning, right? And you, you're temporary apart from God. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 11 says, There's no remembrance of men of old, and even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. There's been a recent habit in our culture of tearing statues down, right? We'd maybe not wanting to remember the past. This was going on in this day as well, 3,000 years ago. We're always trying to extend our influence beyond the end date on our gravestone. And I hope we're doing that. That's a good thing. But without God... Your life has no eternal meaning. You can chase that significance in your legacy all you want, but without God, there's no eternal meaning. Okay, turn over just a few pages to chapter 7. We're going to camp there for these next few principles, these next few observations, conclusions from the writer of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 7, verse 13 says this, Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he's made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. That's going to mess with some of our tidy theology. Therefore, a man cannot discover anything about his future. Is that saying what I think it's saying? Uh Uh-huh. Write this down. Without God, your life has no sense of purpose. Verse 13, who can straighten what he's made crooked? Listen, I want my life nice and straight. I don't want blind corners. That diagnosis that comes out of nowhere, a blind corner. That argument with my spouse or with my boss that comes out of nowhere, that's a blind corner. I don't want the blind corner of a bill that I wasn't expecting to show up. These monkey wrenches. But according to this verse, where do these things come from? God. Interesting. Other places in Scripture would bear this out. Isaiah chapter 45. Look how many times God is autobiographical here. He says, I am the Lord. I have no peer. There's no God but me. I arm you for battle, even though you do not recognize me. I do this so people will recognize from east to west that there is no God but me. I am the Lord. I have no peer. I am the one who forms light and creates darkness. Interesting. The one who brings about peace and creates calamity. I am the Lord who accomplishes all of these things. How many of you are fans of Chip and Joanne Gaines? How many of you know that show? Don't you just love Demo Day? Chip comes in with a sledgehammer and knocks stuff down. We, we bought a house, Don and I, years ago, our very first house, actually. We had it and remodeled it for like five years, everything from the foundation to the roof line. We did everything. It took me a while to figure this out that uh, sometimes you just have to like go to scorched earth. You have to like, like 
break things before you can fix them better. It took me a while to figure that out. So many times I was trying to just kind of fix stuff on top of something that was broken. Uh -uh, Sometimes you have to pull out wood rot. Sometimes you have to really pull the drywall out. You have to go down before you can build it better. Yesterday, one of my boys had a brake job done on his car. Actually, a friend of ours helped him do the work. It was so cool. He came back, and he was telling me, Dad, they were really bad. We had to drill out the bolts on the front end of this car because they were all rusted. And sometimes you have to break it so you can build it better. Without God, there's no purpose for those bad things, right? God does that sometimes. He breaks it so he can build it better. But without God, there's no purpose. There's just despair. Number five, without God, your life has no hope through sufferings. Those sufferings, sometimes when it's broken, that's inevitable. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 14 said, When times are good, be happy, but when times are bad, consider. God has made the one as well as the other. Hear me, it's only the Christian who places his or her hope of God in the resurrection. We talked about this last week. Who recognizes that God, that Jesus himself did not stay on the cross, that he rose from the dead, that when we suffer, we don't suffer for nothing. We have a hope that transcends the sufferings of this life. We had an incredible Easter celebration last week. Even the weather was cooperating. It was gorgeous. It's a social media post I put up on Monday. This was Sunday afternoon, 14 hours later, Monday morning. This is what we were all looking at. And I saw you on social media. We were all griping. Oh, my goodness, one more snow. Listen, you live in central Indiana. This happens every year. And every year we gripe about this. And that last snowfall, it melted even before the end of the day. Job in the Old Testament. He had this super encouraging wife, right? He was going through some rough stuff, and uh, he was, she was griping. Well, actually, let's look at the text. He's been, all kinds of hurt has fallen in his life. Job chapter 2, check this out. Then his wife said to him, are you still holding firmly to your integrity? Curse God and die. That's encouragement right there, isn't it? But he replied, you're talking like one of the godless women would do. Should we receive what is good from God and not also receive what is evil? This is ancient wisdom. In all this, Job did not sin by what he said. Job recognized that God might need to tear something down before he builds it up. We talked about this last week. It's in the text. It's in the Easter story. The disciples were distraught for three days while Jesus was in the tomb. God knew that Sunday morning was coming. But the disciples, they felt despair. They felt loss. God knew. God knew that hope was right around the corner. Listen, for you and I, resurrection day is still coming. But without God, oh, nope. We have despair. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 says, We don't grieve as those who have no hope. We do have hope. It changes everything about the way we view life. Number six, your life has no hope of security. Without God, your life has no hope of security. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 14, remember, says, When times are good, be happy. When times are bad, consider that God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, a man cannot discover anything about his future. That word discover It means secure. It means to hold 
uh, on to something. Without God, it's like we're gambling. Just let her ride. It's up to you to make lemonade out of the life that gives you lemons. But without God, hmm, with God, let's turn to the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, we're going to land here. This is the last chapter, the last few words that the teacher shares with us. He ends where he began. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 8 says this, meaningless, meaningless, vain striving. We're trying to run up the longest down escalator in the world. Meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. He's credited Solomon as the author at the beginning of the book of Proverbs. This right here is one of the reasons why many people would say same guy, same teacher wrote these. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise are like goads. There's a lot of 3,000-year-old metaphors that we're going to be looking at through this passage, but it's ancient wisdom that still works today. They're collective sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. If you're a New Testament reader, your dash bulb Lights should be blinking there. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there's no end, and much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Here's the seventh conclusion. Without God... Evil has no justice. That guy will get his due. Apart from God, that's not necessarily a true, true statement. But with God, listen, God will set every wrong right. Maybe not in this life, but in the life to come. But without God, I have to take a pound of flesh myself. I hope you're able to see uh, the darkness that affects those who only live just under the sun. And have no hope of God. Contrast that with where we know true light comes from. Jesus himself says this in John chapter 8. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Here's the question that we're going to wrestle with for the next seven weeks. Is your life rooted in God? I mean, really. Beginning to end, start to finish. To put it in New Testament terms, is he really Lord of your life? Some of you have been thinking for the last several minutes, Stan, I thought the title of this message was Distraction. Where's distraction in this? Could I submit to you? It's all around you. I mean, we think that we're so sophisticated that in this day and age we've got it all figured out and 3,000 years ago the ancients were just a bunch of dumb hillbillies. We've been wrestling with these truths for millennia now. And this overview of Ecclesiastes today, listen, this is ancient wisdom that we're getting ready to lean into for the next seven weeks. We started with, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Listen, people have been chasing this under the sun for years. People have been chasing distraction for years. And I would contend to you that today, even in all of our just, oh, we're so sophisticated thinking, we are really distracted. 
Check out this picture. I felt this last Sunday. We were watching a movie in our living room. My son had recommended it. And, you know, we're watching a movie, which was one of those that you really kind of have to track with. It, it, was, a, it was a thinker. And I, at one point I looked down and realized, I don't even know how it got out of my pocket into my hand, but here's my phone. Has that happened to you? And this is a picture. I don't know if it's a, a young couple on a date. Maybe they're married. Maybe they're not. Maybe it's a first date. I don't know. This is a pretty important moment maybe. They're at a distraction. Getting to, looking to get lost in the story, and they're distracted in the distraction. We're chasing all kinds of stuff today under the sun. What if, what if God's ways, what if the ancient ways are truly better? Here's the application. Today, center your life in Jesus as the light of life, and the source of your happiness, not just in the good times, but in God, by fearing and obeying him, because you believe that God will straighten every crooked thing. This Bible I've been reading from, it's very valuable to me. Physically, this physical Bible, not just the words in it. If this building were to catch on fire, this is the first thing I would grab to run out with me. My mom gave this to me. My mom died when I was in high school, and she gave this to me uh, as a belated eighth grade graduation. I read the, uh, what she wrote in it right after I graduated, after she had passed away. She said this, Dear Stan, we wish we could tell you just how very much you mean to us. Then she says some kind things. You have potential intelligence, common sense. But she says this, Please set your priorities in life now. While you're young, We'd like to influence how you set these priorities, but you alone can set them. I'd like to encourage you, Stan, to read, study, and understand Proverbs chapter 1, which is ancient Hebrew poetry and wisdom, likely written by the same guy as the text we're studying for the next seven weeks. She says life can be tough, and she knew that. She was in the middle of a five- or six-year-long struggle with cancer. But when we follow biblical principles, it's so much easier to endure. I urge you to make daily Bible study a habit because of Christ, mom and dad. What if? What if mom was right? What if grandma and grandpa were right? What if the ancients 3,000 years ago were right? What if this season we're stepping into right now is a good time, not to think about the deficits, but what kind of things can we pour into the bank account? What kinds of things can we pour into the emotional reserves of our lives? What kind of deposits can we make into the truth that we're seeking to live by today? Join us for the next seven weeks as we dive deeper into the book of Ecclesiastes. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you today for your ancient scriptures. I thank you for truth. And I thank you that um, you've been speaking loudly and clearly for those who choose to listen for millennia. Lord, give us wisdom as we study this deeper. And it's in your name, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.